it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Bride and Kilmead Show. I am Mary Walter. It is great to be here with you. Day two. Very excited about that. Yeah, I do the whole week, but they won't let me. I know, right? It's kind of sad. No kidding. Um, you're always welcome to join me throughout the show. As you know, 866-408-7669. Let's start out with some news. We're going to make it smarter to start this hour with Liz Peake. She's a Fox News contributor, columnist for foxnews.com and The Hill. And you can find all of her writings at lizpeak.com. It's P-E-E-K, and that's where you can also find her on Twitter. Liz, it's so great to start, uh, you know, end my year with you, kind of start the next year with you. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Mary. Thank you. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Oh, thank you. You too. I hope I hope Santa brought you everything you wished for. <laughs> I'm in, indeed. Indeed. It's, it's nice as we get older, uh, the things that we wish for are, har- are um, less expensive but harder to get. I Amen. saw someone post that and I was like, oh, that's so true. That so is true. so true. Uh, let's start off with Bidenomics. You have a piece uh, on the Hill, also on LizPeak.com. Bidenomics is a flop. America knows it. It's so true. And there's so many interesting pieces that have been written about this. And one of the things that I saw was that it's um, the reason the Biden administration can't get their their message through that inflation's slowing and, and job numbers are up and all these good things about the economy is because because of groceries. People yeah. go to the grocery store. I saw that, too. I, and I, I, you know, I hate the comments like this. I had written a piece a few weeks before that with the same general tenor. I mean, the problem is, yes, inflation has slowed. I mean, thank heavens, right? We've had this huge uh, ratcheting up of interest rates, the purpose of which was to slow the economy, bring down inflation. It hasn't just been that uh, higher interest rate regimen that has caused inflation to slow, but the reality is uh, prices are going up at around 3% now year over year as opposed to at the peak 9%. So that's obviously very good news. The problem is prices don't get better. They don't come down. I mean, on some commodities, they do. If if all of a sudden you have a shortage of eggs and the price goes through the roof and then the chickens get happier or whatever and they come down (laughs) again, you know, that, that is noteworthy. But what's happened, I think, over the last well, now really three years, two and a half, three years, is uh, companies in the beginning were caught flat-footed with the cost increases that they were experiencing, and then they began to push through uh, those costs in terms of higher prices, and their margins recovered. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it was almost a lagged effect. All of a sudden, everyone is buying cereal and looking at the box and saying, "Whoa, what did you know? How did this happen? That the price is up twenty percent?" A lot of these packaged goods, particularly, and toys and other uh, items where companies, as I say, kind of got caught out with not recognizing how fast uh, their costs were going up. All of a sudden, they're up 20, 25, sometimes 30 percent over two years. And if you add on to that, Mary, the fact that people can't 
really buy a home. I mean, that housing is so unaffordable with higher mortgage rates. Again, mortgage rates are now down uh, below 8% where they peak, <coughs> excuse me, but they're still high. And the cost of actually a home, price of home, has not come down. So that's been a disappointment to people trying to buy homes. Car prices are through the roof. And particularly if you lease a car, the interest rate difference is gigantic. So it's just like everything kind of piled up. And all of a sudden, the consumer's saying they're going waiting. And, and on top of that, I'm supposed to tip the guy who handed me my deli sandwich? Give me a break. <laughs> The best is when you go and they made you a cup of coffee. I'm like, you didn't butter bread. You 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 didn't slice any bologna. You did nothing here, and I'm supposed to tip you because you poured me a cup of coffee. And by the way, it's not just tipping 10%, which is used to be the old counter thing. <clears throat> Sorry. But now it's 18% is the you know, minimum suggested number, uh, and 25% is typically the highest. And, I mean, I, don't, you know, I do tip people. I think people need a helping hand right now. But, my gosh, if you add all of that together, and if you live in a city like New York where taxi rates are up 30% and stuff, it's just everything seems a lot worse. And, uh, you know, guess what? My, my pay hasn't gone up that much. I don't know about you. But, you know, we're all being kind of left behind. Yeah, absolutely. And but yet the the administration is pointing to salaries that have gone up, saying, well, salaries have gone up. So Americans do have more money in their pockets since the pandemic. Salaries have gone up. And you've got Joe Biden giving federal workers a big, big New Year's present. He just uh, finalized a five point two percent pay increase for for federal workers. This is the largest increase since Jimmy Carter. I think he's trying super, super hard to make Jimmy Carter very happy. Um, I know, I know. Jimmy Carter's the biggest uh, winner of the Biden uh, presidency so far because he looks better by comparison. Who would have thought it? Uh, That's right. And and union wages have gone up. These big settlements for um, teachers and pilots and UAW, unionized workers have seen a pretty big jump in pay, but salaried workers have not. And I think... You know, that's an unusual situation, but Joe Biden is all in on courting the union vote, which Democrats did lose in 2016 to some degree. So, you know, his uh, uh, National Labor Relations Board and every other agent of his government is is, is propelling the union demands on, which, by the way, does increase inflation, too. Right. Of course. Absolutely. So, Ken, do you think that Joe Biden can escape Bidenomics? I mean, they're the ones who put it out there. They acted like, oh, the media is calling it Bidenomics. No, they were calling it Bidenomics. They branded it that. They put his name on it. It's kind of now his. It's around his neck now. How does he get past the economy? Stupid. Is that enough to keep him out of the White House? Well, the irony is actually that the, the the economy is not bad, right? I mean, unemployment's low, inflation's coming down, jobs are plentiful. Um, what what might turn all of it upside down is if indeed we go into a recession. And even though people have become much more optimistic about the economy uh, in 2024, this time last year, everyone was expecting a recession. Now, yes. you know, it's about a 50-50 odd that we'll have a mild recession. The truth is we've had 
leading indicators, which are, as they are described, an indication of where the economy is going next, going down for 18 months. And that almost always, in fact, always, <laughs> always without exception, has predicted a recession. We have never had the kind of monetary tightening that we've had this past year uh, numerous rate hikes, enormous increase in interest rates without a recession. There's still many, many suggesting that there will be a, a slowdown. And so it's kind of ironic, poor Joe Biden, as his election campaign, re-election campaign gears up, it may be that the numbers are getting worse. We'll see. I mean, people have been overly pessimistic about this economy. Um, I cannot imagine that there won't be some slowdown. The question is whether it's significant or whether it's mild. Obviously, we all hope it's mild. But either way, he's not really going to have the big jobs additions to, to, to crow about. What, what irritates me is that so much – and, you know, this last piece I wrote for The Hill about Bidenomics, it's, it's almost tiresome. I saw one of my colleagues – put out, I think it was Joe Concha or somebody put out a thing saying, once again, these are not really new jobs created. These are, you know, jobs that came back because of the recovery from COVID. And you do feel like you're just banging on a drum and no one's listening. One of the things that galls me, Biden has made this big thing about bolstering manufacturing. The The reality is, Mary, if you go back to the fourth quarter of 2019, before COVID hit, I, I'm going to get the numbers slightly wrong, but we had – I'm, this is not wrong. It was like 79.5 million people working in manufacturing. Now it's about 80 million. In other words, over that – what is that? Four years, uh, we've gained half a million manufacturing jobs. That is nothing. We should be growing much faster than that in manufacturing. The reality is that all this stuff that Joe Biden talks about – it's just not true. And I think Americans are simply not that stupid. They get it, that it's not true. So unfortunately, if you look at the president's polling on things like honesty, they've gone through the floor. Because, you know, when he was elected, people had this view of Joe Biden as sort of a genial, decent guy, just the right antidote to the, uh, you know, chaotic Donald Trump and guess what? None of that is true either. He's not genial. He's a nasty man, which Axios kind of blew the whistle on. He screams at his underlings in four-letter words. They're actually young people in the White House are actually afraid to come see him because he's so nasty to them. <clears throat> and he's also incredibly uh, dishonest. I mean, he lies to the American people all the time, and he doesn't seem to mind that at all. So I think the whole image of Joe Biden has crumbled. He's not what we thought. He's not a political moderate. Um, <clears throat> he's not an honest man. And, you know, I think a lot of that is going to hurt him uh, next year. Yeah. This year, uh, almost it, this year. And, and the other thing, too, is you can tell us over and over that things are getting better. And there are some numbers that are getting better. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to sell it, even though it's not where it was before the pandemic. It's still better than it was when it was at its worst. Right. That's right. It was at its worst because it was it wasn't because of Joe Biden. It was because of the pandemic. And that was Donald Trump's fault. So yep. he's a politician. That's the way he's going to spin it. You can't get past 
moms or dads who are going to the grocery store and are looking at a pound of butter and saying, what the hell, $4 a pound? Now, eggs have come down. But there are other things, to your point, packaged goods, cereals. I talk about, you know, I buy graham crackers twice a year. Christmas when I'm making pies or something, and and summer for s'mores, right? That's when I buy my graham crackers. They're almost $6 a box. I almost fell over. $6 for graham crackers? They're not even Oreos. They're graham crackers. That, that's what I mean. Those packaged good co- goods companies in particular, but also uh, companies like Disney, uh, McDonald's, yeah. everybody. And I went back and looked, um, you know, one of Biden's big themes is really it's the corrupt, greedy corporations that is to, are responsible for inflation. They've just been raising prices for no reason. Well, if that were true, you'd expect that profits were going through the roof for America's corporations. That's not true. We've mm-hmm. had about seven quarters of flat profits. But again, if you look at profit margins, they got really banged up when all of their costs, you know, the cost of commodities, which soared after the Ukraine war and also because of supply chain problems and stuff, and labor and everything else went through the roof, companies were really caught out. And now they are catching up. But now we, the consumer, are the ones who are looking at those prices like graham crackers and saying, what? How did this happen? Well, yeah. how it happened is they they had to raise prices to offset all the costs that they have had. So, you know, I, I mean, there are no villains here. It's just a confluence of events yeah. uh, that, that I think have really hurt consumers. And again, some segments of our uh, country have gotten pay hikes to offset that, and many have not. Yeah. All right. We've got more with Liz Peak coming up. There's lots of things I want to to cover with you, uh, including some some news on 2024 on the Republican side with Vivek Ramaswamy. We'll talk about that and more with Liz Peak on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade with the one and only Liz Peak. You can check her out on LizPeak.com. Follow her on Twitter. Same thing, Liz Peak. Uh, Liz, Swami's campaign is no longer spending money on TV ads. They don't have any currently booked. Uh, they have slowly uh, taken down the amount of money that they're spending on TV ads. And this is according to NBC News. Uh, but they say they're still going to um, advertise, just not on TV. Is this the winding down of the campaign that we're seeing? Well, I would think so. I mean, he does not made any appreciable inroads into any of the primaries, Mary. It seems to me after Iowa, he might uh, withdraw from the race. Um, I would think the same of Chris Christie, although there are anti-Trump zealots funding Chris Christie, and maybe they'll continue to do that, (laughs) you know, even on the other side of the election. Who knows? Um, But I think it makes sense for Ramaswamy to say sayonara. And by the way, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe if Ron DeSantis doesn't do well uh, in Iowa, I would think he might also. Yeah, yeah, he's he's um, apparently doing a large door knocking campaign, which I think is is actually a good thing to do if you have a ground game. But Nikki Haley has so much money pouring into her and so much support. She has just she's got a great ground game, you know, and then that's that's really helping her. I guess being having a lot of Democrats who like you. 
they've got a lot of money, and, and that that does help um, Nikki Haley. One one thing, uh, the Daily Mail did a poll, and it came out this morning, and they asked voters for one word to describe what Joe Biden and Donald Trump each want from a second term. For Biden, the number one term was nothing. <laughs> it's not wrong to laugh. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, I, I know. Uh, I saw that, and I thought it was, I mean, whoa, it, you know, just a great big zero. And I, you know, on the other hand, <clears throat> I'm not really surprised. Where's the campaign? I mean, there's been a lot of chatter, as you know, uh, amongst Democrats about the fact that Joe Biden really isn't running much of a campaign. He's left it all to the DNC. Uh, he has been out raising money. That is true. But uh, rallies, uh, I don't know, big fundraiser events that are public, no, none of that stuff. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're smug, if they feel they can wait until – uh, later in the year because they've got the uh, nominations sewed up. I don't know, Mary. It's a pretty strange situation. And, you know, there's been enormous focus, uh, understandably, on the Republican primary side. Everyone is very, um, you know, fascinated by whether anyone can really make a dent in Donald Trump's approval ratings or dominance of the of the Republican Party. Uh, and yet, you know, there's not much chatter about the Democratic side, and I think they have a much bigger problem. They have a candidate that most of their party doesn't want to back. So what happens with that? Are we going to end up, it seems to me possible, we're going to end up with the nomination going to the convention? Because if you can, if you consider that the number one issue people have with Joe Biden is his age, Mary, it's not going to get better. They may have better drugs. They may be able to kind of see him through, but the num- you know, the stumbles and yeah. mumbles are going to continue. Uh, and I, I just can't imagine that the Democrats are going to run Joe Biden and Kamala Harris again as a ticket. It just seems nuts to me. Yeah. The, the, this word after nothing was economy and number three was peace, which I find hilarious. Uh, in the I time mean, that really, we have, <laughs> we've got one minute left. So I just want to get to Donald Trump really quickly. But the number one word for Trump was revenge. Mm-hmm. Number two was power. And number three was economy. Well, you know, none of that is appealing probably to an independent voter. Uh, they are, you know, to the extent that they watch the mainstream media, they're going to be convinced that this is guy, this guy's a dictator, that he wants all the power of the country uh, to be brought into the White House. But you know, well, <laughs> the person who's really done that, actually done it, is Joe Biden, where every agency of the federal government has been weaponized to go after the things that the Biden people really care about, whether yeah. it's DEI or whether it's climate change or whatever, yep. you know, I don't think Liz- people realize every single agency of the federal government Liz- Liz- was given marching orders early on. Yeah, we got to run. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful new year. All the best in 24. And thanks for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. Happy new year. Thanks. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. When you say to me, you know, I'm 80 years old, and I don't think about age. Honestly, I don't. Uh, The other day, I I said to my friends when we were gathered, I said, you know, at 80, I can do everything I used to do when I was 50. 
But I don't know what it is. <laughs> so it must really tick you off, all this stuff about Biden and his age. It does. I think it's sort of an ageism. He's done a brilliant job, I think, this president. And I think he knows how the Congress works. He knows America. And he also knows how the world works. And that's what you need today. Oh, that there was John Kerry pontificating on CNN with Christiane Amanpour. And as I as I said yesterday, if you, if you listened to the show yesterday, I, I say a lot to me, you know, you hear the old age is just a number. Everybody ages differently, right? Pick your parents well. <laughs> That's pretty much the way it is. It all comes down to genes, a lot of it. Of course, there are other things that, you know, don't be an alcoholic, try not to do a lot of meth. You know, those things come into play as well. But, um, but you can be 80 years old and be very physically fit, but not know where you are. I've seen other 80, 90-year-olds who have their brains. My grandfather died at almost 97 years old, sharp as a tack. His body just gave out. Boom, that was it, and it was quick. It was like the first time he'd ever been in a hospital, and that was it. It was the last time he was ever in a hospital. But his brains, man, he could think. He could. He was very sharp. I had no, no questions about his mental acuity. So it's a very individual thing. Uh, but I, but at least John Kerry was laughing there about, you know, I just don't remember what it was that I did. Well, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Let's talk some more uh, about the economy. And also, uh, as I was speaking with Liz Peake, talked about this new poll for the Daily Mail that just came out where they asked people to give, describe Biden and describe Trump in one word. So I thought we could have some fun with that. Just give me one word to describe Biden, one word to describe Trump. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, and of course we're going to talk about the economy as well. If you want to jump in there, I have a lot on the economy to share with you. Let's go to West Virginia though and say hello to Michael listening on the Fox app. Michael, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hello. Merry Christmas, Mary. Well, thank you Jersey so girl. much. You too. <laughs> thank you, ma'am. Yeah, I'm originally from North Jersey, but you know, as far as all this goes, you know, when Biden first got elected, I could tell. My one word for him is disaster. When he started signing all those executive orders that killed the Keystone Pipeline and killed our energy, I told my wife that it's time for us to go into survival mode, and that's what we did because everything went up from there. I do all of our shopping in our household, and I watch watch everything skyrocket, all of our groceries, and we're both disabled living on fixed incomes, and it cut our groceries in more than half. You know, so my Biden from the very beginning was disaster. Trump was my hero. When he was, this country was humming. Everything was going fantastic. Gas was, I was getting gas. I had to go to Alabama a bunch, and I was getting gas for $1.80 a gallon back when Trump was president. Yeah. You know, but I'll I'll tell you one thing. I, I haven't heard anybody call Bidenomics its true meaning. Brandonomics. This isn't Bidenomics. This is Brandonomics. I like that. I like that a lot. I haven't heard anybody say that. That's he, he's so evil that this is the evil thing he's doing to our country. This is the first mm-hmm. time I've ever heard it called Brandonomics. And by the way, for a boy from North Jersey, you still you have a little bit of a southern twang going on there. What happened? I grew up in Florida. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say, you don't sound like most of my friends are in North Jersey. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, though, um, I, Michael, I think to your point, I think there are a lot of people who are not becoming necessarily preppers, but are 
you know, no. um, maybe starting to be a little bit more careful. Like, like my husband, like he'll go when he goes to the warehouse store, he'll bring home like a case of spam or he brings home a case of chili or he brings home, you know, a case of cat food for the cats. And I'm like, what do you do? And he goes, you never know. And I was like, okay, you know, and now, but I will say he did buy go bags that have medicine in it and stuff like that. And then he just bought a, I said, well, what about the cats? So he went out and he got a go bag just for the cats. I said, with all the stuff we have, he got a solar panel to like charge a, a phones and, and um, uh, radios. But where we are in Jersey, we haven't seen the sun in about 10 days here. So he's had the solar panels outside to see if he could charge anything. I got news. He, can't, he hasn't been able to charge a darn thing in the last 10 days because it's been so foggy and so cloudy. So that whole solar concept, if we were dependent on that, we'd be freezing and we would have no, nothing that runs on electricity because it's because of the weather. So yeah, no. Hey, one other point, you know, th- they say that Biden doesn't have, you know, his son was selling his brand around the around the world. Well, I know what his brand was. All of those, all of those classified documents that he had stuffed in his garage. He had the Penn Center. Mm-hmm. Why was why did Blinken get a million dollars from the Penn Center when Chinese gave him forty million dollars to the Penn Center? Where was all that money going? And who was looking at those classified documents that were yep. in the Penn Center? Yeah, I wonder what the Biden brand is. No one's told us what exactly is the Biden brand and how does that work? It's, it's a great, it's a great point. Well, you have a wonderful 2024, Michael, and thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Take care. Let's go to Paul in Orlando, Florida, listening on WDBO. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hello. Good. Thank you. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Oh, you wanted me to describe Biden and Trump in one word. Yes, please. Oh, Biden is a marshmallow and Trump is Teflon. Interesting. No, I do not see marshmallow uh, at all on the, wait, that's Trump, on the Joe Biden uh, what is this? This this word thing where they have all the words on it. Uh, let's see. I don't see that. I see beat. I see debt. Corruption. I do not see marshmallow. <laughs> it's funny what people will say when they have time to think about it. I said that's very good. And what did you say for Trump? Uh, Teflon. Yeah, you know nothing I, sticks. So here's the thing. I agree with you, but they are going to get unless, first of all, he has not, his team has not um, gone to the Supreme Court to challenge this Colorado ruling yet. They got to do it by January 4th. They have to have a ruling by January 4th. So they better hurry up. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what the, what the, what the strategy is here, but I will tell you if they don't stop Jack Smith, he's going to get a conviction in DC. It's going to well, stay. That's obvious. It's yeah, all right? the appeals that'll happen. Yeah, that that's exactly going to happen. Uh, they're going to get a conviction in D.C., unfortunately. But I love it. Marshmallow and Teflon. And uh, by the way, our screener, Pete, cannot spell marshmallow. So I love some of these, these little exercises because then I can see <laughs> what the spelling capabilities are of, of our assistant producer. Thank you, Paul. Have a wonderful 2024. Thanks for joining us. So, yeah, I want you to describe Trump or Biden using one word. We've got some more on the economy that I want to jump to as well. Uh, for Trump, the word, top three words were revenge, power, dictatorship. For Biden, the number one word was nothing. Number two was economy. Number three was peace, which is hilarious. Um, 
it's they say that for Biden, the Democrats are saying, well, it could have been worse because the number one word wasn't old. It could have been old. It could have been demented. And it wasn't. They said instead, instead, it's nothing. It's a blank slate. And they say vanilla is the most popular flavor of ice cream. These are word clouds. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, they say Biden came in. The the guy who did this poll, who's head of the polling um, firm, said Biden may not have set the world alight three years ago, but he was the candidate of calm and recovery from the pandemic. Now he's the nothing man. Trump, rather than people thinking he has a plan to restore America, most think he's just out for personal revenge. But without a viable alternative from Biden, they may opt for Trump anyway. At least revenge means something, doing something. The Biden campaign will be hoping to set out their vision of his second term in the coming months to shift the views. But the big question is, will the American people even be listening? That's a great question. Now, for Democrats, when they answered, they said uh, power dictatorship for Trump, power dictatorship, corruption, uh, uh, destroy anarchy and corruption. So so those are the words. Republicans were to use use more approving terms such as. Uh, where are we? Uh, the, oh, America, success, peace, and border and economy. Democrats, again, picked uh, for, for Joe Biden, economy, democracy, and peace. So, it, And the uh, Democratic strategist, Hank Sheinkoff, says people had strong feelings about Trump or were less certain about Biden. They didn't have really strong feelings about Biden, which is probably why nothing came up. Because you look at Biden, you're like, Ugh. And he's there. He said the Biden strategy right now is to make sure that people know that Trump is um, anti-Democrat, our Democratic system, that his rhetoric is dangerous and therefore he is dangerous. And that's what they're going to campaign on. And Trump sometimes doesn't help himself when he jokes around, like he joked around with Sean Hannity. And when Sean asked him, well, you are, you know, you're not going to be a dictator, right? He goes, except for day one. And he's laughing and he goes, day one, I'm going to be a dictator. And, but they cut off what he says after that. He goes, I'm going to be a dictator in closing the border and um, something else. So closing, but closing the border was one of the things. I thought, well, those are good things. But he was joking when he said it, right? He goes, yeah, if you're going to consider me a, 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 a dictator, you know, by closing the border. But they always leave that part off and they're just out there speaking. Donald Trump said he's going to be a dictator. So he doesn't help himself. He's got to know by now how they're going to um, edit his words. And... I, I don't know whether he did Maybe he just probably just doesn't care because that's that's Trump to just not care. OK, I'll get more of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669. I also have more on the economy. What's happening in California because of a mandated $20 an hour minimum wage. How's that working for him? We'll find out next here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. So a little bit, uh, we're talking a little bit about the economy, uh, which dovetails very nicely with a poll that was done by the Daily Mail where they created word clouds for Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And they asked people to describe each candidate using only one word. The number one word to describe Joe Biden was nothing, the word nothing. And the number one word to describe Donald Trump was revenge. And I will say he's coming across very vengeful. However, like I get it. I get it. Dude's got a lot to be vengeful about. 
but he's right. It's not it's not just for him. It's for us, too. And there's a lot of people who feel that they were robbed of a second Trump presidency. A lot of people feel that way. So they want to see the wrong right. So so I get why he's doing that. Um, So we want to know your word to describe each one of them. Also, in California, I had to share this with you because it's as if they couldn't see this coming. And sometimes, like, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room, and I'm not an economist like AOC, so maybe I wouldn't see this coming. But I kind of did, so I feel a little proud of myself, so I want to share. In California, they mandated a $20 minimum wage for fast food workers by April of this coming year, 2024. Guess what happened? Well, fast food places are now laying workers off. Well, of course they are because they can't keep up. Gold, let's see, uh, at least 1,200 employees being laid off uh, from Pizza Hut and uh, California. Oh, this is in the California Pizza Hut franchises, the Golden State Pizza Hut franchises, which is a collective of stores. They're laying off altogether. All of their in-house drivers, the people who stand there and wait and and then bring you your pizza, 1,200 employees. The company has made a business decision to eliminate first-party delivery services. So that's all of their delivery driver positions. Southern California Pizza Company also uh, laying off 841 of their drivers. Those, so they're, they're just laying people off. They're like, come get your pizza or pay somebody to pick it up for you. There you go. That's it. You know, get it through Grubhub or DoorDash or one of the other ones. Both services I have never used in my life. Like, I can put on a pair of pants and go get my pizza. Because delivery service is expensive. McDonald's says it's going to raise the projected annual cost of each restaurant by $250,000. Who could have seen it coming? 866-408-7669. This is probably the smartest I'm going to feel all day. Uh, uh, Dan in Buffalo, uh, Buffalo, Wyoming, uh, listening on the Fox app. Dan, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hi. Good morning, Mary. I feel sorry for those people in California. You know, it's not their fault. It's who they voted for. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's terrible. I wanted to say Biden's a crook. And... That would be your President voice. Trump was a patriot. He loved this country, and he's still showing how much love he has for our country. I'm Those looking are my for words. yeah. I I see patriotism on Trump, so I do see that. And under Biden, I see corrupt. I don't see criminal or anything like that, but I do see corrupt on here. So that's close enough. Right? That's close enough corruption. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, where is Buffalo, Wyoming? Uh, North central Wyoming, about 50 miles south of uh, Montana. Okay. Okay. I I, I have friends who live. Go ahead. Right underneath the Bighorn Mountains. Okay. Yeah, I've never I've never heard of it. I have friends who live in in Wyoming, so and and I I love that area. I've been to Wyoming and I've just never heard of Buffalo, Wyoming. So you're my first, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small town. There's about 4,000 people here and the, the the town's about 2 miles square and there's nothing in any direction other than the mountains to the west. Ugh. Sounds like heaven. I wanted to, to me. say that I I became a, a small-scale prepper back when Obama first became president and after uh, Biden got elected, I've, I've kind of stepped up my, my prepping here just, just in case, because like you said, everything has gotten much more expensive 
and I can hardly even afford to drive around anymore, although the prices have gone down a little bit, but they're still well, not assume, where they were when Trump was president. I would think in Buffalo, Wyoming, you could just ride a horse, so. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> Dan, I appreciate you so much joining me. Thank you. Have a wonderful 2024, and thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate that. Yeah, my husband bought a go bag for the cats because I said, well, what are you going to do about the cats? You're just going to leave them here? And so he comes home with like this backpack and it's got a little water bottle with like a little water thing in it that you can pop out and, and you pour the water in like a tray and, and all this stuff for the cats. And I just started laughing. I'm like, we have so much stuff. We're never going to be able to carry it all. Uh, Zach listening on WGBA in Georgia. Zach, I've got one minute. Go ahead. Okay. So Word for Biden um, would be turncoat. Okay. And for Trump, I would say American. It's interesting. On Joe's, I see corruption, as I said, and I see American on Joe's and America on Joe's. On Trump's, I see democracy. I don't see America or American. I don't see, yeah, it's center. I see country. I see democracy, but I, oh, I do see America, but it's very, very small. So a lot of, not a lot of people uh, said that. And I see American as well. So not a lot of people said that, which is interesting. The words for Trump are not what I thought they would be. Um, economy, obviously big, but revenge, power, dictatorship. So the, the branding from the left is working. On Donald Trump. They always control the words and the branding. It's very interesting. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it and have a fantastic 2024. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter, like the man said, in for Brian Kilmeade. It's my last day I get to be with you, so I hope everyone has a wonderful 2024. I'm sure I'll talk to you in 2024. Uh, let's talk right now to Washington Examiner's deputy editor, Kaylee McGee White. You can find her on Twitter at Kaylee, K-A-Y-L-E-E-D, McGee. Uh, Kaylee, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. So on, on the Washington Examiner, you wrote a piece saying that Joe Biden doesn't want you to buy a house. And I hear that from a lot of uh, younger Americans, a lot of millennials and and the cohort, you know, just starting in life, getting out there. And I look at it and um, I guess my question, first question to you is, why do you think that Joe Biden doesn't want you to buy a house? Yeah, so the piece is largely about Biden's economic policies and the consequences that young adults especially have been feeling, um, but obviously Americans across the board are feeling the pinch as well. Um, But one of the things that I mention is that as a result of um, inflation, the Fed has had to respond with several rate hikes over the past couple of years, and as a result, mortgage rates Um, interest rates are much higher than they were a couple of years ago. The average mortgage rate right now is about 7%, which means that, you know, for those who are able to put down a down payment and still buy, 
they're going to be getting much less of a house than they would have been able to a couple of years ago. And that's if they can afford a down payment at all right now um, with the state of inflation as it is. So that's sort of my, you know, facetious joke on why why Joe Biden right. doesn't want me to buy a home. But, um, it, you know, it it is definitely affecting younger Americans. You look at one statistic that I believe I cited, which is that, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, the average age of a first-time home buyer was 25. It's now 35. So that means that Americans are having a much more difficult time that, to, that it, it's much more difficult for them to settle down, to raise a family and to take that big first step um, of adulthood, which is buying your first house. Yeah, I was almost 40 when I bought our first house. So um, and and because, it, you know, listen, there were there were some similar situations. The uh, the economy wasn't right, but they are looking about lowering interest rates in in the coming years several times, several rate cuts, which is great. But, I, you know, I think sometimes there's also what people will say when it comes to the younger generation, because always look at the generation after us. I'm like, Ugh kids, right? Um, (laughs) But, you know, a sense of I want it now, I should be able to get out of college and I should be able to have a house and pay off my debts and have this and have that and then do all these things. When in reality, I think, you know, you look at generations before you say, wow, well, they were buying their houses at 20 some odd years old. Well, not as many people went to college, right? Not as many of them have had college degrees. A lot more of them, especially the men worked in um, blue collar jobs. Whereas I think your generation was sold the, everyone has to go to college if you want to make it into America in America line. And I think that was a disservice to your generation. I think that's part of it. And then, so there were great expectations when you came out of college that I'm going to have it all. And I'm going to be able to do everything that, you know, my parents did and all this other stuff and, and, and on and on. So I think that part of that may be what's playing into that. What do you think? Yeah, that's certainly an element of this. Um, And I'm Gen Z, and I've I've talked about this quite a bit about my generation, which is this overall sense of entitlement that um, peers my age have, which is what you've mentioned, is that they, you know, they believe that their student loan debt should be paid off, even though they were the ones who willingly took on the tens of thousands of dollars to go to college for four years. So it's that kind of attitude that is also very prevalent with this. Um, And, you know, there was a recent study by the Wall Street Journal that came out Uh, that kind of goes into what we're talking about, which is that a record low number of young Americans believe that the American dream is accessible to them. And part of this goes into, you know, their ability to buy a home, to settle down, to start a family. Um, But what I've been, you know, what I say is, yes, we should make the American dream accessible, but we also have to make it clear that the American dream isn't handed to you. It does have to be earned. And that's something that Gen Z does tend to forget. So there is a clear line there. Um, but, you know, the, the cultural implications of sort of this pessimism with the economy, um, it, I do think it's a lot deeper than even just Gen Z entitlement. Yeah, no, I think I think right now there is a certain malaise about the economy uh, across all age groups, especially anyone who happens to buy groceries. <laughs> Yeah. So if you eat, you're probably not super happy about the uh, economy right now. I wanted to talk to you about 2024 and I wanted to talk about this this case in Colorado where they kicked Donald Trump off the ballot. So a whole bunch of Democrat uh, attorney generals and have have gone into looking into, oh, can we do it in our state, too? Like, can we kick Donald Trump off the ballot in our state, too? And and I find it interesting because the Biden administration has enacted sanctions on countries that have kicked their political opponents off the ballots. 
Mm-hmm. So I find that very, very hypocritical. We we sanctioned Venezuela. Well, we have not, but we've warned them. We sanctioned Nicaragua. The Biden administration, when it came to Nicaragua, pointed to the government's misuse of Nicaragua's Law 1055, which bans anyone deemed as a traitor by the country's government from running for public office. It is literally what the Democrats are doing to Joe Biden's political opponent with zero irony. Yeah, and the White House is obviously playing coy about this and refusing to directly answer questions about the legitimacy of the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. But certainly I I would imagine that they're holding out hope that the Supreme Court doesn't strike it down because it would obviously be a great win for Biden, who is now losing to Trump in multiple swing states, according to some of the recent polls. Um, So, yeah, the Colorado Supreme Court decision, though, I, I don't I'm I'm not too worried about it. I don't see how the Supreme Court would be able to leave it stand, considering it undermines the very nature of our criminal justice system. Um, the big problem with this decision is that it allowed the Supreme Court in Colorado to play both the prosecutor, the jury, and the judge, handing down a verdict on charges that the former president was never even charged with to begin right. with. Um, and so, you know, to to allow that decision to stand would be an indictment of the entire rule of law in the country. And so for that reason, I'm not too worried about it standing. Well, I'm a little worried because they have to file their appeal by the 4th of January because the 5th is when the ballots are finalized and the 6th is when they're printed up. And so far, as far as I know, and maybe you've heard differently, but as far as I've seen, I've not seen anything that says that the Trump team has filed any kind of appeal to the Supreme Court on this. Well, they would be remiss if they didn't. But part of the other issue here is is if they haven't filed the appeal immediately, that may very well be because his campaign is bogged down with so many other, um, you know, trials and indictments and court appearances that the Democrats have foisted on him over the past year. And so I, you know, I've said this before, I wonder how much of the charges against Trump in the various indictments and now in this decision are deliberately intended to bog him down and distract him from actually campaigning and to prevent him from being able to do so. Um, So I guess we'll see if he does file the appeal. I would imagine that that would be a priority for his campaign. Um, But you're right. That deadline is, is definitely approaching. Right. And the great thing about it, if they if they do file it, it would get rid of the bulk of Jack Smith's cases against him. Yes. And I would imagine that that's why it's taking as long as it is to file the appeal, because they're they're clearly uh, aiming at not just the Colorado Supreme Court's decision, but also Jack Smith's prosecution, which, by the way, Jack Smith is actively fighting. So that's another hiccup in this entire situation that makes for a very convoluted case. Yes. Yes. Um, Robert F. Kennedy has Jr. has been denied Secret Service protection for the third time, and he's going to uh, appeal this again. What does it, I mean? Why would they not give him Secret Service protection? Now they say that they have um, that um, they have a whole process, and Alejandro Mayorkas met with an advisory committee, as he's supposed to do, composed of the Speaker of the House, the House Minority Leader, the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader, and the Senate Sergeant at Arms. And based on the facts and recommendations of the committee, I've determined that Secret Service protection for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not warranted at this time. However, he has pointed to threats that he's received. He also pointed to Herman Cain in 2012, Ben Carson in 2016, who received protection uh, just under a year. 
before Election Day. But apparently, because he's not polling at 20 percent or more of the real clear politics national average for 30 consecutive days, they're pointing to that saying he doesn't um, he doesn't qualify. But yet Herman Cain and Ben Carson also didn't meet that requirement and also got protection. Right. Yeah. And and the polling shouldn't matter in this. Right. The you know, the Department of Homeland Security should not be factoring in how people are polling in order to determine whether they're eligible for security. They should only be factoring in um, threats to that person's safety. And keep in mind that someone tried to break into RFK Jr.'s house not over, you know, a little over a month ago. So these are actual credible threats. Um, that law enforcement have had to respond to that could very easily have been dealt with had he had a Secret Service detail. And I think that this is at least the third or fourth request that RFK Jr. has made um, following these these threats on his life. So I do think that it's telling that the Biden administration refuses to take them seriously. Yeah, although we say, you know, if they have Secret Service protection, it would have helped him. It didn't do a whole lot for um, Nancy Pelosi's husband. That is true. Yes, yes. I mean, they can't prevent everything, but it's it's certainly better than nothing. That's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I don't make light of the attack on Paul Pelosi. Uh, obviously, that was a horrific thing that happened to him. But, you know, the question remains is, where was everybody when that happened? We think, you know, you get, oh, I'm, I'm getting Secret Service protection. This is the best ever. And then you see things like that and you're like, oh, maybe maybe I better hire private as security. But, yeah, this is his second, third request. And he's going to be making yet another request for that protection. Interesting um, case. What do, you, what do you make of John Fetterman? John Fetterman bucking the left, the far left part of his party, right? He's parading around. He goes around these Hamas protesters draped in the Israeli flag, which is hilarious. It is. It's it's something Donald Trump would do. He's expert trolling. I love it. He's got the Israeli flag outside his office door. He has the pictures, the posters of the kidnapped Israelis on the walls outside of his office. And he said at this point now, both the left and the right want me to have another stroke and die. Yeah, what do we it's make interesting. Of him? Yeah, it's interesting too because Fetterman had another really um, telling quote in that interview with the New York Times, where he said that he doesn't believe that he's left the progressive label. He believes that the progressives have left him, especially when it comes to issues like uh, Israel or immigration, which he's also been pretty outspoken on recently. And so it seems like he's having a sort of awakening that several other Democrats have had in recent years, like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema, where they realize that maybe their party really does stand for values that they cannot stand behind. Um, and I, I doubt that Fetterman would necessarily take the Manchin Cinema route and go full independent. He's already said that he plans to continue voting alongside the Democratic Party, and he has voted with alongside every single one of Biden's proposed um, bills in Congress. So, you know, he's not an independent or even really a moderate. Um, but he is certainly breaking with the left flank of the Democratic Party on, on key cultural issues and really turning out to be um, an, an independent voice on those. Yeah, it's, it's frightening to me because I find myself agreeing with him on a regular basis. And it just makes me reevaluate all of my life choices. Yes. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, again, he did campaign as a progressive. He actually bragged about being a progressive in Pennsylvania for several years before he even ran for Senate. So, you know, he is, to a certain extent, still very progressive. Um, But, you know, it's kind of the political evolution that, again, several other Democrats have found themselves undergoing as the Democratic Party continues to become more radical on cultural issues.
Yeah, very, very interesting. And Kaylee McGee-White, thank you so much for joining me. You can find her on Twitter at Kaylee D. McGee and also go to WashingtonExaminer.com and you can read all of her pieces there. Have a wonderful 2024. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. You as well. 866-408-7669 is my number. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. We'll get a couple of quick calls here. And then coming up, we're going to talk about immigration. There's so much immigration news that I want to get to and share with you and and get your opinions on. Let's head out to Naples, Florida first and uh, speak to Joel. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joel, welcome. Hi. Yes, uh, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Um, I just want thank you. Yeah, I I just wanted to mention this. I'm I'm really concerned. I'm a nurse. I work here in Florida, and we probably get about 84, 89 percent of our medications made in China, mm-hmm. and and a lot of our medical equipment. And I think everybody's talking about prepping and getting ready for a big event, but the big event happened three years ago, and uh, that was all caused by China. And people talk about fentanyl and drug issues, but I think we're addicted to having other people do the work for us rather than us do the work. Well, I think part of the problem is is that China doesn't have to deal with, no offense to anybody who belongs to a union, but union demands and walkouts and, and all that, you know, they can just do things a heck of a lot cheaper than we can in this country because of, you know, union demands and a lot of our manufacturing, right? Look what happened. We just talked about California. All those people voted for $20 minimum wage. It's great, $20 minimum wage. Well, guess what? Now they don't have jobs, right? Because certain things aren't sustainable. It's not sustainable to pay a delivery driver $20 an hour. It's just not. So now the delivery driver is making no dollars an hour. So they don't have those problems in China. They have a different work system. Granted, a lot of it is slave labor, which I don't obviously am not for either. Somewhere there's a happy medium in between. Uh, But we we choose to say, well, if we don't see the slave labor, if we don't see the kids working, then it doesn't matter to us. And so we just turn a blind eye to it in exchange for lower prices. And and, and I I agree with you. One more thing I like to say, too, is how how are we able to inspect what they what they are producing for yeah. us too because yeah. I mean it could be on the it could be under the diabolical end and think that we're mm-hmm. actually getting a good product. Yep. Oh yeah. I I mean we don't trust they tell you not to buy animal food that comes from China, right? Like don't buy the animal food that comes from China. It it's got this this in it or that and you hear about animals getting sick, so people go out of their way to not buy it from China. But yet we ingest pills into our bodies that were made in China. We do that every day. And my my two words for one for President Trump, I would say he's pragmatic. And then for Joe Biden, I have to say he's a scumbag. Oh, well, I can tell you right now, neither one of those words are on these lists. Pragmatic is a big word that most people just don't use in their everyday, everyday um, 
conversation. So I'm not surprised that pragmatic is not on the list. And the other one uh, is not, I don't, I don't even like that word, uh, is not on here. That is not, failure is on here, uh, which, um, let's see, homelessness is on here for, I guess, because of the, the rise in homelessness. But yeah, your your other word is is not on here. I like I love that, and thank you so much for the for the call, Joel. I love that the word live is on here. Live, okay, and wealth, like they're, they're tiny, and clue. The word clue is really teeny tiny in in Joe Biden's word cloud. All right, coming up, I do want to talk. You can keep calling with your um with your words for Biden and Trump. We can do that through the whole show. That's fine, but I do want to talk a little bit about immigration coming out. There's a lot of immigration news and I think we're becoming numb to it. You know, the frog in the pot type thing. So we're going to talk about that coming up right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It baffles me. Uh, You know, New York City is the economic engine of the state and the country. Uh, And I don't have the answer. Back in April of last year, I was alone on this topic. Uh, But now you're seeing others uh, coming forward and saying, you know, hold on, Eric is right. Uh, and they're joining us, and our coalition is, is going to continue to grow because these cities deserve better. And I'm not only talking about New York, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, El Paso, Brownsville, uh, you know, all of these cities, Houston. You know, cities should not be handling national problems. That is Mayor Eric Adams in New York. And we know what happens once Eric Adams started to complain about the immigration problem. And now he needed help from Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. should be helping these cities deal with these problems. Mayor Eric Adams had a little visit from the FBI and they handed him a warrant and they searched uh, his car and they took phones and they took uh, iPads. And now there is an investigation into him with alleged uh, sexual assault um, allegations that have been lodged against him. It's funny how the Democrats work that way, right? Be quick, be quiet or else they're going to come and get you. And I love that they devour their own. You know, it's it's kind of fitting that it happens to them, too. So let's talk a little bit about immigration, shall we? 866-408-7669 is the number. So um, the DOJ, so all of this is going on on the border, right? We've got all of this stuff going on the border. We've got a massive migrant caravan. I, I, I don't know what else we call them. They're illegals, right? They're coming to the country illegally. And they're coming here for a better life, for economics, for jobs, which is not a legit asylum claim to come to the country. But they know that once you cross that border, you are never being sent back. I don't know why we don't deport people. But for whatever reason, we're not allowed to because it's mean. Well, prosecuting people for a lot of crimes is mean, but yet we still do it. Uh, But it's mean, so they know that once they cross that border, they're here, and the American taxpayers are going to be on the hook for their health care and their kids in school and putting a roof over their head and food in their belly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have some numbers on that if you don't believe me. So there's this new caravan that's coming up primarily from Cuba, Haiti, and Honduras. On Sunday, they started walking more than nine miles from the Mexican southern border city of Tapachula. An estimated 8,000 are on en route. 
They uh, were given a Christmas Eve dinner with sandwiches, a bottle of water, a banana by a local church sent that out. They spent Christmas night sleeping on cardboard, plastic under awnings and tents. It is being organized by a radical migrant rights activist, Luis Garcia Villagran. He has warned that the caravan could grow to 15,000 and they're carrying signs reading Exodus from poverty. So they don't even care that that the reason they're coming here is not valid. It is not a legit asylum claim. They don't care because the, the asylum game is over. They're not even pretending anymore. They used to pretend to go, no, 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 I'm not here for a job. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Gangs. I'm going to be killed. They would make up a story. They were coached by the cartels what to say when stopped by Border Patrol. Now they're like, yeah, I want a job. I'm I'm escaping from economic poverty. Well, you come here and you're going to be plunging everybody into poverty because we can't afford to pay for us and you. And that's exactly what we're going to have to do. There have been more than 730,000 migrant encounters at the southern border since October 1st. That is more than the population of Denver in a month. Excuse me, since October 1st. Yeah, October, October, November. So more than the population of Denver. I was like, oh, America's so big. I'm like, okay, where are you going? You moving to the middle of the desert? You moving to some unpopulated area? I don't think so. As many as 10,000 have been apprehended every single day at the southern border this month. The total number in in December has already passed 200,000. The Mexican government now says they're willing to help. Uh, which, wow, where have you been for the last three years? Whereas Donald Trump had them putting their National Guard on the southern border, their military on the southern border to stop them coming from, from other states, from coming up from the south. Because he said to them, I'm not going to give you any more money. He told the Triangle Nations, he told uh, other countries that we're not going to give you money. We're, we give you money. Um, if you're sending all your poor people to us, then we're not going to give you any more money. Why should we? We need that money to take care of your people in our country. And suddenly they stopped it. Weird how that happens. But under Joe Biden, that's not happening. We have um, White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, who said that uh, Biden and the Mexican president, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador AMLO, shared concerns about the dramatic increase. They're laughing at it. They're not concerned about it. It's such a lie. Uh, uh, Lopez Obrador has said he is urging the Biden administration, though, to ease up on sanctions against Cuba and Venezuela, where about 20 percent of the illegals that the U.S. agents have encountered at the border between October and November were from. He also says the U.S. should give more money to struggling Latin American countries. We give them so much money. Where does it go? It never makes it to the people. Why should we keep giving money to countries who have dictators in power and the money never makes it to the people and their their living situation never gets better? Why is it up to us to constantly do this? I'm getting tired of it. Uh, Customs and Border Border Patrol uh, released a statement saying that agents are more than willing to sacrifice holidays to protect our fellow Americans, but what we're doing is not enforcing our laws because of bad policy. Our government is allowing cartels to control our border. And here's a fun little fact. I've got so much for you uh, on this. Um, Where is this story? I've got so many stories here. I want to find the one. Here it is. When I said that we pay for them, and it's like, no, we don't. They're just here for a better life. They just want jobs. They're here to contribute. 
first of all, vast majority don't speak English. If you don't speak English, you're not going to get much of a job. You're not going to get much above minimum wage. That's number one. Number two, many of these people can't read or write in their own language, let alone English. So again, they're not going to get much of a job. They're very, very poorly low, at a very low education level. So the Center for Immigration Studies, they did an analysis and it showed that illegal aliens and legal immigrants in general use more welfare, significantly more welfare than native born Americans. Almost 60 percent of households headed by illegals use welfare. About 52 percent of households headed by legal immigrants use at least one form of welfare. Now, I don't understand how the illegals are getting it. The only thing I can think of is that when they have a child, the child automatically qualifies for benefits because it's an American citizen. So then look at that. Here we go. We're, we're on the gravy train. Fewer than four in 10 households headed by native born American citizens use welfare. Uh, they, the researchers say this is primarily because the American welfare system is designed in large part to help low income families with children. And that's a large share of legal and illegal immigrants. In particular, they found that immigrant headed households use far more food stamps, more Medicaid and the earned income tax credit than native Amer- born American households. So we're footing the bill. I don't know how many more people we can foot the bill for. And you know what? I kind of want, remember back in the day, Sally Struthers from All in the Family, she would go on there and tell you to adopt a child or whatever. And you would get a letter from your child every month and their picture and everything, the kid you were supporting. I would like to get a picture of the family that I'm supporting. It would be nice. At least I know who I'm supporting, you know, a thank you, maybe a Christmas would be nice from the people that I'm supporting, that I'm paying for their kids and I'm paying for their schooling. And when they, every time they show up in the hospital because they're sick, I'm paying for that and I'm paying for their food. It would be kind of nice, right? At least, at least if it's inevitable, uh, at least I know who they are. Maybe they're very nice people. It would make me feel better. Compared to households headed by the uh, United States born, immigrant headed households have especially high use of food programs, Medicaid 30, 37% versus 25%, uh, food stamps 36% versus 25%, and the earned income tax credit 16% versus 12%. It's significant because we are heading, a foreign-born population in this country is at a record high, the highest level ever. We have almost 50 million foreign-born residents now living in the U.S., the largest ever in American history. Uh, in 1960, the foreign-born population was only 9.7 million. Now we're at almost 50 million. How do you keep? How do you, how is that sustainable? We have to print everything now in 15, 16 different languages. Uh, kids in school—they all need remedial schooling because none of these kids can speak English. So we have to pay for schools, for teachers, in hospitals. They have translators. It's crazy the the unintended costs of all of this. So, and Americans are saying overall they want cuts to immigration, period, including legal immigration. So coming up, uh, I'll get to your calls, 866-408-7669. I wanted to throw out some of this this um, immigration news and numbers and things for you to, to digest. And also, of course, your words for Biden and Trump. One word to describe Biden, one word to describe Trump. So all of that coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Every single one of us should lose hope with this administration, knowing that they're absolutely not going to do anything that's going to protect United States citizens. When we talk about Blinken Mayorkas going to Mexico, it's a complete joke that they're going to be there because nothing's going to come of it. Uh, Lopez Obrador is going to want to get concessions from the United States government. Um, Mayorkas and, and Blinken know that they could secure the border tomorrow if they were to do the, the proper policies right here in our country. We can't rely on other countries to protect our citizens. We have to be able to rely upon our own government, and Biden just won't do it. Lopez Obrador knows that Biden is weak. He's going to treat Blinken and Mayorkas like Biden is weak, and he's going to try to get things out of them. Most likely, he's going to try to get money from our government. That was uh, Brandon Judge, National Border Patrol Counsel. Uh, interesting that he, he mentioned that Joe Biden is weak, which he is. And I'm looking at the word cloud for Joe Biden from voters and using one word to describe him. And the word weak does not show up on here. Uh, let's quickly go to Robert in Daytona Beach, Florida. Robert, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was wondering if you had a second to get an alternative opinion on immigration um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, sure. I'm a, I'm a Cuban American. I came from Cuba when I was five years old. Didn't speak a lick of English. My dad worked at a gas station. We had food stamps, and uh, you know we 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 fought and scraped and did whatever we can. And as a result, both my brother and I graduated college. We have, were successful. My son's a doctor. My, you know, I, I married a, I married a doctor who's also a Cuban American. So you're right. The the people getting uh, food stamps and uh, and Medicare at at the if you take a snapshot of it, it's predominantly immigrants but uh we rise up man you know and and uh, and i think that you're that you're that you're looking at it myopically uh, I, there, there's an employee shortage and we need we need folks to come in here and work how many how many people do we need to come in who have no skills that's that, see I, I'm, I'm agreeing that it's regulated but uh what do you mean by no skills because well, we got well if you can't if under- you can't speak english and you're most likely uh illiterate in your own language you can't read or write english you're looking at a low-skilled job i mean how many of these people coming across the border illegally are going to work for nasa uh, not very but uh, we need dishwashers and we okay need how many dishwashers need- do we need in this country well, we need more because there's a three percent unemployment right now, and and we don't have enough people. You go to restaurants right now, and the tables got to wait for the service to be done. Well, so, so we need more people. Well, I, I I find it hard to believe that all these people are going to be dishwashers. That's one thing I, fi- I find that hard to believe, and they're not going to make enough money as dishwashers to be able to support a family or be able to support themselves in this country, and that's a problem. If you come here just to wash dishes but you can't support yourself, I'll buy another dishwasher. Like I'll actually buy a machine because in the end it's going to be cheaper because it's cheaper to buy that than it is to pay a guy minimum wage and then support him, his wife, however many kids he has, put those kids through school, you pay for them to be in school because he's not going to be paying taxes because he's not going to make enough money to pay taxes taxes they're just not going to be able to reap much benefit because they're illegal so they get right so, so they pay the taxes they get they get the taxes deducted but they can never get the the tax back because that they're 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 under the under the radar they get paid in cash and they, or they get paid but they're um, still they, they not the bottom line they're not going to be contributing to society they're not 
they're not going to be they will be taking more out of the out of the uh, economy than they're going to be putting into the economy. I don't care how many dishes they wash. They're not going to be a, a plus. They're going to be a net negative on our economy. We don't need to import people who are a net negative on our economy. We have more than enough who are homegrown to do that. When my grandparents came to this country, they had to have sponsors. They had, they were visited all the time by immigration. They had to prove that they knew they were learning how to read, write, and speak English. That if they lost their jobs, they knew that they would be sent back to Germany. They were going back. They knew that. So they had to keep a job for X number of years, et cetera, even after they become citizens, before they could get in. Well, there was no welfare at the time that didn't exist. They didn't get any of that. So if you're and they had to have jobs. So why should we be importing people who are going to be a drain on the economy? That doesn't make any sense to me just because they can wash dishes. I don't know. Are you there? Okay. All right. Uh, Robert, we got to run. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you joining me. So it sounds great. Yeah, we need dishwashers. But I can't imagine that, you know, millions and millions, tens of millions of people are going to be all dishwashers. Mm, I just don't see it. Uh, let's quickly go to Bill in Oklahoma. Bill, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Uh, yes. Uh, about the immigration, um, you know, when Obama was president, um, there was like 20,000 a year coming across the border illegally, and that was considered a crisis. Yep. Now we've got 20,000 over two days doing that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, your previous caller, he described the American dream, but this isn't the American dream. This is the American collapse. Yep. I I agree. If you're you're not going to, if you cannot be a plus to our economy or to the American way of life, why are we letting you in? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, my two words that come to mind um, when I think of President Trump, I think of opportunity, and when I think of Biden, I think of opportunist. Oh, that's good. Oh, you had you put some thought into that. That was very good. I'm just looking to see if I can see either one of those words here. Um, it's hard to read because the words are like all over the place. I don't see opportunist, which I don't think I would see because that's a word you got to think about. But for Trump, opportunity. I see prosperity for Trump. Um, mucho, M-U-C-H-O is hilarious for Trump. Um, I don't see opportunity, but yeah, I, I think that those are, that's, that's a really great dichotomy between the two. Thank you for adding that bill. I appreciate it. Have a great 2024. Thank you for joining me. And I have Frederick in Panama city. I literally have a minute and a half. So you got to make this super quick. Okay. Okay. Go. Uh, yeah. For me, my two words for president, one word for president Biden is traitor. And I compare him to. Uh, modern-day Benedict Arnold, and maybe even Pontius Pilate because of the blood he has on his hands. Mm, for, okay. for, for Trump, I consider justice. So and the on word... immigration, and okay. on immigration, I believe that everyone that came here illegally, they have to be identified and returned to whatever country they came from. They all know they're coming here illegally, and Biden is not enforcing our laws. And I think eventually he should be tried for treason. I'm with you. I think he should be tried for treason. That's just me. But I just don't see the Republicans having the guts to do it. I just really don't. Frederick, thank you so much. Uh, Have a wonderful 2024. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox 
News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, I'm Mary Walter. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's my last day with you. Coming up later this hour is Dr. Nicole Sapphire. She's a Fox News medical contributor. And uh, we have some medical news to talk to her about. And um, also uh, some other other things in the news regarding um, you know, medicine around, around that. So we're going to talk to her. Uh, about that as well. One of the things we're going to talk to her about is, this is super interesting. So the Daily Mail has this piece that researchers in Sweden, they investigated the health comes of people with an anxiety order called hypochondriasis. In other words, hypochondriacs. They have an excessive fear of illness. Now, a lot of people worry about not getting, about getting sick, right? I mean, one of our, one side of the family, they did, uh, Chris, they, they always have Christmas at their house and we never go because one of us is always working. So we never go, but they canceled it this year because 11 people who were supposed to be there were sick because the flu is going around with a vengeance. And there are several strains of flu going around. Mm, dependent. So, I, so I've had one and I'm like, ah, oh, waiting for the other one. So, you know, you worry about becoming sick. You don't want to get sick, but people who have this hypochondriacs basically, they see their life disrupted by anxiety and they interpret almost every normal bodily sensation as a sign of illness. You know, those people, and I, cause my husband's a doctor, so I'll do this to him and I kind of do it. It's kind of a joke. Like something will happen. I'll be like, Oh yeah, my stomach doesn't really feel well. And he was like, Oh, you know, the flu's going around. I'm like, no, it's cancer. <laughs> always go to the extreme with him and it drives him crazy. Uh, no, it's cancer. Um, <laughs> so, so they studied, they tracked 42,000 people over 20 years, over 20 years, including a thousand with the condition. And they found that the worriers, people who have this condition lived five years on average, five years less than people who don't. So in other words, hypochondriacs worry so much they kill themselves early. That's pretty much what this says. Hypochondriacs die earlier. The average life expectancy uh, is, well, they said people, people who have it lived to about 70 and people who didn't, um, didn't have it lived on an average to 75. Which I think about that and like my parents are in their early 90s. My in-laws are in their early 90s. I was just like, that's kind of interesting. You know, that's where the average lifespan is, you know, about 75. That's wild. Um, so, so I'm just curious to find out if you know someone like this, someone who's like, oh, yeah, they have this, they have that. And there are people who I swear, I don't know if it's hypochondriasm, hypochondriacism, whatever it is. I don't know if it's that. Or there's just those people who it's always something and, and I look, I think this anxiety thing is kind of wrapped up in this because everyone under the age of about 45 has anxiety. And I can say my husband's a doctor and he'll tell you, they all come in and they, they always, and when, you know, they fill out their form, they all say they have anxiety. They all have depression. They all have, you know, a, uh, OCD or ADD or ADHD. And they put all this stuff down there and he'll say to them, well, you know, do you have a clinical diagnosis? And they're, they're like, no. It's like, so have you seen anyone to, to about this? No. 
So how do you know? Well, I, I'm just anxious. So I, I know I have anxiety or I know I have depression. Or I know I have this or whatever. Fill in the blank. So in my brain, that's kind of like a form of hypochondriacism, hypochondriasis. Um, it, it's a form of that because what we learned was just normal feeling anxious, anxious about something. It's because you're worried about something, uh, you know, a test or something. That was normal. It was normal to have a little bit of that, that feeling in your belly before a big test in school. That was normal. It's normal to have that feeling if you're, if you're going off to do something that is exciting, right? They're like, oh, I'm, I'm anxious about it. I was watching, um, yeah, I do watch this. I was watching um, 98, 90 Day Fiance. And the guy was coming over here and this chick had to pull over to parking lot because she, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. I'm like, you're going to pick up the love of your life from the airport. She's like, well, what if he didn't make the plane? She's tell, talking to her. What if he didn't make the plane? What if he's not on? I haven't heard from him in, in, in 12 hours. All this other stuff. And I was like, dude, calm down. It's supposed to be exciting, but she literally had to pull over and her friend had her talk her through it on breathing and everything else. And I can't imagine going through life that way. It seems to be like very stressful and a lot of anxiety. And they say stress and anxiety can spark the release of chemicals in your body that increases inflammation. So all of this worrying because infl long-term infl inflammation leads to a whole bunch of problems, including a weakened immune system. So by worrying so much about your health that you're going to get sick, or that you're going to have an anxiety attack, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, you could be just killing yourself sooner. So I don't know. I, I just know people who every time I talk to them, this is wrong, that's wrong. This is, and I slowly, they're very, very tiring people to know. So I just kind of, um, kind of just, you know, slowly work my way out of their lives. I'm like, yeah, you guys are really high maintenance. You got a lot going on. I can't do it. Uh, speaking of health, a new report from uh, the, it's a combination of the Brookings Institution, Gallup, and the Institute for Family Studies. We touched on this just a tiny little bit yesterday, but they found in this report, and, it, and so this is a nonpartisan report because it's got different, you know, different sides. They found that children raised by conservative parents are significantly more likely to have a stronger relationship with their parents and are at much lower risk of developing mental health disorders than children raised by liberal parents. Now, if you want to chime in on any of these, let me give you the number. I think I forgot to do that. 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. And also you can follow me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. There's no S in that. It's all one word, Mary Walter Radio. And if you're, um, check out YouTube and get her for my podcast, which is live 7.15 p.m. on Tuesdays. Uh, you can watch repeats, you know, older older podcasts there on YouTube. And it's also available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So the study says they don't make the case that political ideology itself leads to better outcomes for the kids. But they found a very strong correlation between conservative political views and successful parenting strategies. So what they're saying is that conservative parents have a different parenting strategy than liberal parents. They found the uh, study's principal author, Jonathan Rothwell, says conservative parents are eight percentage points more likely to be in a good relationship with their adolescent children than liberal parents. 
The gap is 14 percentage points between very conservative and liberal parents. Adolescents with very conservative parents are 16 to 17 percentage points more likely to be in good or excellent mental health compared to their peers with very liberal parents. Only 55% of adolescents with liberal parents reported good or excellent mental health compared to 77% of those with conservative or very conservative parents. So I see that. And I do have friends, I do know people whose children are transgender and on the outside looking in. Okay. So I'm not on the inside, but on the outside as casual observer looking in, what I see is um, for instance, one family, a child who beautiful girl, ch- um, not, not a scholar at all. School's not her thing, but she's super good with other things. She's into cosplay. She's very good with makeup. She, um, you know, wants to do, she wants to, to go to, um, she wants to go out like to California and do makeup for, for, uh, horror movies and that kind of thing, which, which is incredible if you can get involved in something like that. But instead, uh, mom and dad pushed her to go to college. She went to college. We all knew she wasn't going to do well. I, well, I did anyway. You know, my husband and I looking at this, we're like, because uh, we don't have a ton of mutual friends. So I was like, well, she's not going to do well. She's not a scholar. It's not her thing. It's not her passion. But she went, of course, dropped out. And instead of pursuing her dream, she instead hooks up with this group of people. And I don't know if it's cause and effect, the chicken or the egg, but she transgenders, to, she transitions as well. So she's going through the surgery. She's going through the whole thing. She doesn't have a job. She has no direction. She's directionless. And, and I, and her parents are very liberal. And I, I look at the parenting style and they're enabling all of this. And I think, you know, maybe this whole study has really, there's something to it, right? You know, she's got some, she's got other problems, other issues. And I wonder if the more liberal parenting style does lead to kids who have more anxiety, like we were just talking about kids who have more issues. Like, so, and they wind up with, if I could just change who I am, I'll be happy. The anxiety will go away. I'll feel good. They took into account both of the parents' opinion of their relationship with their child and the child's opinion of their relationship with their parents. And they said this relationship between conservatism and parenting remains significant even after controlling for an extensive list of parental demographics and socioeconomic measures. They found that conservative parents are more more likely to value their own marriage and that this leads to a better relationship with their children, in particular when they become teenagers. Children whose parents who have a strong marriage are far less likely to experience mental health issues. They, they said, though overall, the study author writes, the best mental health results for kids come from an authoritative parenting style that is defined as warm, responsive, and rule-bound disciplined parenting. Conservative parents are more likely to adopt this style as opposed to two negative styles that they defined as authoritarian, which is being cold or harsh, and permissive, which lacks proper discipline. So authoritative is different than authoritarian. We had a national um, state of emergency in child and adolescent health, mental health declared in 2021 by the Children's Hospital Association. They say that 42% of all high school students have experienced persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. 
And it was 60% of teenage girls saying that. And we have the youth suicide rate skyrocketing 62% from 07 to 2021. So we got a problem. The kids are not all right. Between 2020 and 2023, they say 18 times more teenagers died deaths of despair than from COVID. And they say the CDC almost always completely ignores parent-child relationships when talking about mental health. So what do you think? Uh, to me, there's a lot said here. 866-408-7669. I'll get to your calls coming up next right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669, getting to your calls coming up here. And also uh, coming up, Dr. Nicole Sapphire will be with us as well. Uh, but right now we're talking about the, the children of conservative parents, lower risk for mental health issues. And also um, we've been talking about... Um, you know, studies that are coming out showing that um, the mental health in general, uh, hypochondriacs dying five times faster, uh, five, excuse me, five years sooner than people who aren't hypochondriacs. We've got a little bit of a mental health problem. So I'm going to get to your calls on that. But first, some breaking news. The Michigan Supreme Court has rejected the attempt to remove Trump from the ballot. So the Michigan Supreme Court has decided that Trump can stay on the ballot. So um, Trump, Trump wrote on Truth Social following the decision that the Michigan Supreme Court has strongly and rightfully denied the desperate Democrat attempt to take the leading candidate in the 2024 presidential election, me, off the ballot in the great state of Michigan. I love that he puts me in there. Like, we don't know who he's talking about. It cracks me up. I know some people get very annoyed by stuff like that. I just, I just find it funny the way he speaks and the way he... Uh, says things. I do find it uh, funny. So, all right. Uh, 866-408-7669. Let's head to Austin, Texas. Sam, welcome. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Uh, well, first, I want to say um, I, I'm very conservative myself, but I, I kind of disagree with the idea that children of conservative parents are more successful um, and have less mental health. He's myself an example. I grew up with very, very conservative parents. And what happened in my life isn't good now, but for a long chunk of my life, I ended up becoming a severe drug addict, alcoholic, you know, a terrible story. And um, what I noticed was having super conservative parents, what that did was they were more focused on what they, what they thought I should be doing rather than what I wanted to be doing. You know, in, in small things like maybe wanting to be a tattoo artist or something like that, that is not something they were supportive of at all. But I had friends who had very liberal parents who ended up being very successful because their parents were cool with whatever their kid was into. And they were supportive of it. Um, you know, liberal conservative ideas politically are, you know, that's one thing. But as far as, like, temperaments, I've noticed that people who are liberal have generally uh, – more forgiving temperaments and more um, accepting temperaments towards things other people may be interested in that they are not, you know. Um, but that's just, just kind of my opinion on yeah. 
parenting, you know, so. Listen, there, no parent is going to be perfect. You know, I, we all know families where they have five kids and four of them come out just fine. And one of them has problems with drugs and maybe staying, not, not staying on the right side of the law, the quote unquote troubled child, you know, so, so we all know families like that for whatever reason. I don't think this is a broad brush with, with which you paint all parents based on their political beliefs because they didn't do it based on political views. This finding was just a an outcome that they didn't go in looking for of this study. So, and as far as far as I find it interesting that, that Sam says, and Sam, thank you so much. I wish you the best in 2024. I really do. And it's interesting though that Sam also came out conservative. Did you notice that? He says, well, I'm conservative myself. So you would think that he would have gone, rebelled and gone the opposite way and become very liberal, but he didn't. He's conservative himself. So I, you know, again, you can't paint all parents with a broad brush. Also, there's so many other things that come into effect, but even when they um, allowed for other instance, other socioeconomic measures, parental demographics, that type of thing, they found overall parents who had not an authority, not a authoritarian style, but an authoritative parenting style, which they said was warm, responsive, and rule-bound. Now, he may have had authoritarian parents, the extreme, and maybe that's why things didn't go as well. But I have to tell you, some of the most intolerant people I know are liberals, are self-proclaimed, you know, self-proclaimed tolerant liberals who are don't want to hear anything that challenges their beliefs, especially if you're talking politics, especially politics. Now, if you tell them, yeah, I want to underwater basket weaving as my major, then they're the ones who are probably most likely to go, well, that's so creative. Whereas maybe more conservative people would be like, dude, you're not going to be able to pay your bills. Uh, let's quickly go to Las Vegas. Uh, Tony, I, I have one minute here, but I want to get you in before we go to Dr. Nicole. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mary. I love you. I love Brian Kilmeade show. Thank you. Uh, I was going to go through the hypochondriasm. I'm yes. a nurse, uh-huh. and my best friend here in Las Vegas is a nurse. I'm very sick now from COVID, uh-huh. but I push forward. I'm alone, 64. She's younger. This <laughs> She's seeing a neurologist. She's seeing an endocrinologist. She's seeing a podiatrist. And you're chugging along and getting it, getting it all, all done. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but we didn't have enough time for your story. I'm so sorry, Tony. If you want to hang on through Dr. Nicole and come out the other end and finish your story, you can. But coming up next, Dr. Nicole Sapphire on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade with you on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll get to your calls coming up at 866-408-7669. But we've got a lot to talk about first with Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News medical contributor. Find her on Twitter at NB as in boy, Sapphire, S-A-P-H-I-E-R-M-D. Dr. Nicole, thank you for joining me. Hi, Mary. So glad to be on with you today. So we have been having a conversation here about a couple of different things regarding um, kids and mental health. And one of the things we've been talking about is the fact that we have a we have a 
a national a national emergency, the Children's Hospital Association, back in 2021, declared a national state of emergency in child and adolescent mental health. And then the study comes out from the Brookings Institute, Gallup, and the Institute for Family Studies, which shows that, and they did go out looking for this, but as, a, as, as they were studying the mental health of kids, they found that children who have conservative parents, who have conservative parenting styles, tend to do better than children who come from more liberal parents with more permissive parenting styles. How does that affect a kid's mental health? Well, it's so funny. We continue to talk about, oh, this latest study came out showing, you know, mental illnesses on the rise in our kids. We had the Surgeon General declare the state of emergency a couple of years ago during COVID. Obviously, our kids are not doing okay. Mental illness is extremely high in them. Social media has certainly contributed to them. But that study is interesting when it talks about children of conservative versus liberal parents and their levels of anxiety and mental illness. Well, let's just take it from a bird's eye view. When you talk about Democrats or more far left-leaning Democrats, you know, there's a lot of talk about climate change. The world is going to end. Take away gas stoves and stop having so many children because they're polluting our polluting our world. I mean, these are all anxiety-provoking ideas. And for a child, we're talking, they're essentially talking about the world is going to end if they do anything. I mean, that's not really good for mental health. Now think about conservatives who tend to focus on faith, friendship, family, and all the other things and bringing it back home. You know, my son and I wrote a children's book called That's What Family's For, talking about the importance of being together as a family. And that is something that is truly in line with a lot of conservative households is trying to maintain that nuclear family. And instead of relying on external factors for support, make sure you turn inward to your family. And it's that feeling of safety that really allows a child to grow and nurture themselves without that anxiety of, well, what's going to happen next? Right. And, and we had discussed a little bit earlier before we got to this, this issue with the, with the parent conservative parents is that if anyone under the age of 45, if they're coming to, to see a doctor and they fill out their new patient forms, they all put down that they have anxiety. The entire, everyone under the age of 45 has anxiety and I don't understand how that happened. I mean, yes, to your point, the polar bears are dying and you breathing is killing the planet. I can understand where that would do a little bit of a number on your mental health. Uh, but it's just, uh, t- to me, it's so interesting. They don't seem to be able to cope with the base, the basic daily up and downs of life. And I don't know what happened well, right. there. Well, that's right. And first of all, you have to know that a lot of people overutilize the term anxiety because there's something very different of having feelings of anxiety or anxious feelings than actually having an anxiety disorder. And an anxiety disorder is where those feelings of anxiousness actually interrupt your daily life and you're unable to perform your normal daily functions because of those pervasive feelings. But as you're mentioning, all of a sudden, if you look around us the last five, 10 years, it's we've tried to create these safe spaces and nurturing and walk on eggshells so that you do not quote unquote, offend anybody. And by doing so, all of a sudden, we have an entire generation who are not able to cope if there is anything placed in front of them that maybe makes them feel a little icky. And we have done such a disservice to these younger generations between the helicopter parenting and the safe spaces and and in the pronouns and whatever we could possibly do so that we don't offend one single person or we don't make one person feel slightly uncomfortable, 
Now all of a sudden that they can't handle anything. And we have just that pendulum has swung so far to one side that it's going to take a while for corrective action to bring it back to center. Yeah. And not only that, but they're annoying. <laughs> just don't want to hear about your anxiety, <laughs> please. Oh my God. We used to call that Tuesday when I was a kid. Shut up. Um, but this time of year, you wrote a piece earlier this month about, you know, Christmas coming up and how for most of us, you, you have all of this, the, the hallmark moment, right? Like everything's supposed to be like a hallmark movie. We're all supposed to find love and then lose our love and then get our love back again just in time for Christmas. And, and, you know, the, the picture perfect family gathering when in reality, that's a very, very, very small number of American households, I think, are that picture-perfect gathering. And for most of us, we know what the holidays are. It starts with Thanksgiving, which totally preps us for the mental anxiety of what's to come in the next month, right? Because in our household, we used to say, if there are no tears, it's not, it's not Christmas, right? If somebody's not disappointed and crying, it's not a holiday. So I think that that's the majority of American families. Why is it that some people, though, can look at that and, you know, see the stressful moment for what it is, whereas you say in your piece here that nearly 40% of Americans say that their stress uh, during the holiday season often leads to physical ailments, depression, anxiety, and substance misuse. Yeah, well, so my husband is an endovascular neurosurgeon, so he's a brain surgeon, and his specialty are stroke and aneurysms, and I can tell you without a doubt, every Thanksgiving week, every holiday Christmas week, you start seeing more strokes, more ruptured brain aneurysms. In fact, he got called away during Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas Eve dinner, and Christmas morning. So, and why is that? Well, that is because blood pressure and unhealthy eating, all of that is on the rise during these holidays, not to mention the stress, the pressure that we put on ourselves from gathering around family. Oftentimes, there's some sort of conflict within a family, and now everyone's kind of forced into a room together, and they're eating, a lot of people are drinking, and it really does kind of create this perfect storm for conflict and stress. And what I want to try and remind people to do is, if you even have family or you have friends, you're already doing much better than a lot of other people. So to try and refocus yourself during that time, especially because there's just such a high propensity for physical and mental ailments, do what you can to take care of yourself physically and mentally and be grateful that you actually have these people around you. And maybe you've had conflict in the past, but maybe try and start seeking some ways to resolve that because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we are all blessed to be able to live another day. And so the holidays for me is a time to really reflect on how I can move forward um, with my friends, with my family, and with myself in the healthiest way possible. Yeah, you could send them to me uh, because I, my husband and I work, he's a physician, so, and me doing this. So we work constantly from Thanksgiving, like straight through to New Year's. We, I can't remember the last time we actually had a holiday together. I kid you not when I tell you for the last 10 years, our Christmas tree has been on the front porch in a bucket of water until after New Year's. And then we put it up and we've just decided we put it up and we have a Christmas party in January because we're not getting anything done. Until then, my Christmas tree is still in a bucket on the front porch, wrapped in that little plastic netting that it came in. And there's nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. Christmas still comes. Christmas still goes. If you get a Christmas card for this year, good for you. If you don't get one, sorry, you were too far down in the alphabet and I just didn't make it. I I guess, you know, I think there is a certain... I guess lowering your expectation and learning how to lower your expectations is a really big help. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. I like to set my 
bar high, but you know what? I don't want to, I don't, I focus more on myself and my nuclear family that, that what happens around me, like I didn't get a Christmas card from somebody. I'm, I don't dwell in that disappointment because that's an external factor that has nothing to do with me. So I just can look inside of myself. Don't, don't, don't lower the bar to everybody else. Keep it actually so high that how other people are don't actually affect you that much. Yeah, I like to lower people's expectations of me. It just makes my life easier. <laughs> I, I, I pretty and it, to me, it's an art form, and I could give classes in it. You know, um, you know, if I actually show up on a Christmas day to a, somebody's house, they're such like, oh my gosh, we haven't seen you in ten years. So I'm like, I know, and then they treat you really, really well. So it's great. Um, so, so I think I think a lot can be said for my for my way of doing things by lowering standards and lowering expectations. Uh, Doctor Nicole Sapphire, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter, as I said, is NB as in boy, Sapphire MD. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful 2024. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. No stress in 24. All right. 866-408-7669. I promise I will get to your calls coming up. It's your say here on the Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. My last day with you. 866-408-7669. Very quickly, I'm going to take Tony in Las Vegas, and then I want to share something with you. Uh, Tony, thank you for holding on. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. You started telling your story earlier about being sick. You're a nurse, and you, and you got the COVID, and your friend has the COVID, but you're handling it differently. Yes, you know, and even before she, I got the COVID, and we met nine years ago because we've been to get working for the same company. She was going to neurologists and so forth, but she's chronically worried about her health. She's chronically running to specialists. She's under the care of a minimum of four. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a, a more going on than her, and I don't have a husband. And last night we spoke, and she said because I'm moving to a rural area now in Colorado to be near my children. Uh-huh. She said, how are you going to drive the store? Do you think you can drive the store? And I said, I don't want to hear that. I will make a way. And it's just like baby steps. And uh, it's it's really sad because she lives in such fear of her health issues. And we're getting older. We're going to have them. And uh, it is exhausting. There are times I just, uh, yeah. I don't want to be a mean friend, but I do see this. And um, I know I'm not very articulate right now because I know we're kind of off topic of what you were on as far as the. Well, we were talking, uh, and for people just joining in, and we're talking about um, hypochondriasis, whatever, people who are hypochondriacs dying about five years on average sooner than people who aren't and people who worry about their health all the time. And you're right. They can be very tiring. Well, what about this? What about that? And listen, she's married. So she looks at someone who is single because it's a totally different life. And you look at how much you depend on your spouse and it's probably, she's probably very worried about how you're going to, going to make it all work. So I get it. So for her, those are very legit I think questions, right? Um, 
and she she's just worried about you. So so that's kind of a nice thing that she's worried about you. But on the other hand, I also understand where it can be very very tiring. Uh, Tony, I hope you feel better because um, you got the COVID. So I I, I hope you feel better and uh, you're back to your old self in no time. And look at it this way: since you got the COVID, uh, you don't have to worry about getting it again for a while. So so that part of it is actually nice. Uh, I wish you the best in 2024, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, I want to get to this. Um, this guy did the Secret Santa at work. I don't know if you've ever done Secret. Santa. We did it at one place I worked and it was very funny. It was hilarious. Uh, the gifts were great. It was a really fun thing. But for this guy, he did not identify himself. He just shows a video where there's a blue box in his car and it's shot from the back seat of the car so you don't see who he is. But you just hear him explaining about why he will never participate in Secret Santa in his office again. I will not be participating at Secret Santa anymore at any job, any workplace ever again. Last Friday, everybody's supposed to brought their gifts. I went all out my way. I put Christmas lights on the bag, um, Santa paper. I had all kind of stocking stuffers down in the bag. So long story short, everybody getting their gifts, everybody exchanging. The lady come up to me, she say, um, she say, your, your secret Santa didn't come to work today. Come Monday and I have your gift. I get to work today. I get my gift, y'all. And this is what I have. Now, mind you, the limit was $25. Now, I know Reese's and Hershey's and Mr. Goodbye, I know they can be kind of on the expensive tip. But I said, well, $25. I said, well, maybe she spent a little bit of money on the bowl in the box. Because the box is kind of fancy like. So that's it. He got a box filled with leftover Halloween candy, basically, although there were some Reese's um, Christmas trees in there. That's what he got. That was his secret Santa gift. So I understand why this guy says I am never participating in secret Santa ever again. Now, to be fair, some people may not have the money, right? And so she tried to dress it up. Some people may not have the money. But I just think that when you're doing Secret Santa, you have to set your expectations low. And I also thought you're not supposed to know who got you the Secret Santa gift. Like you're, you're not supposed to know that. But I guess because she didn't come to work that day, he knew who his Secret Santa was. I'm sorry, but I find it hilarious. Now, we don't do, like, for family, we were doing Secret Santa for with my brothers and their wives. We were, we were doing Secret Santa. And everybody wanted a gift, just a gift certificate. So we were just exchanging $50 gift cards. It was ridiculous. So we stopped doing it. Now we just buy for the kids. That's all we do. And and we do have one set of friends that we do, like, a Yankee Santa or a Nasty Santa, however you call it. And we have, I think, a $30 limit. And you buy something creative and then you can steal somebody else's gift, that kind of thing. And that kind of works sometimes. We did it once with family, with extended family at a big Christmas gathering. And I felt so badly because some people like really went out and they definitely went over the $30 price limit, which I don't think is fair. But then like someone else who did, who's older, who didn't really understand, I think how it was supposed to go bought a pair of socks. So there's somebody who got a pair of socks that had like Santa on them or something. They were cute, but they literally got a pair of socks and somebody else got a bottle of champagne. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
And you can only steal, like, if you get the socks and you're late in the game, yeah, there's the chances of someone stealing those socks from you are pretty slim. Pretty slim. So um, so they're probably not very happy with with their socks at all. Um, I also wanted to share one other thing with you that I think is hilarious, and I have about a minute here, and I just wanted to share it. You can go to AFRU.com and read this whole thing for yourself. And it's it's a serious article, which I think is hilarious. And it's about the Senator Ben Cardin's staffer, uh, Aiden, Aiden Meese Sirkopsky, who was caught you know, having sex in the Senate hearing room. And here's what they say. They say, um, we get it. It's the most important room in America. And they talk about why it was important. They said, but in a world built on hate, displays of love are inherently rebellious. Every second that Aiden and his partner made love in the halls of power was pregnant with poignant meaning. And in a time when the LGBTQ community is under existential threat by white fragility feeling threatened, open displays of LGBTQ culture are necessarily brave. In some ways, Aiden's act mirrored that of Anne Frank, who dared to express her honest thoughts and feelings even as she hid from rabid, insurrectionist-style death squads. So if nothing else, I wanted to leave you with a laugh. You can check it out for yourself, AFRU.com. Go check it out. I'm Mary Walter. Thank you for joining me today, and I wish you all the best in 2024. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Brian and Allison. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.